Welcome to Energy Radio, a podcast by CEM Engineering. Welcome to the Energy Radio podcast. This is episode 22. I'm joined today by Jeremy Gertz of SunGrid. He's the managing director at SunGrid. Jeremy, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Matt. Really appreciate the uh, efforts you guys are putting forth and sharing the message on this podcast. And happy to be uh, happy to be a part of it. Cool. Um, now you came uh, recommended by. Um, I was sitting around a pool in Florida, and uh, my mother was promoting the podcast to my father, who's in the space. And he said, "Oh, you know who you should talk to? You should you should interview Jeremy Gertz." Um, but I didn't quite get the context around how do you know Homer and how do you know Algonquin? Let's start there. Maybe. Uh, yeah. So going back uh, probably close to 10 years now, uh, your, your Tad and myself, uh, you know, Algonquin has had some great successes in the renewable space uh, more recently in the solar. And as they were really starting to take on solar projects, they were looking for, you know, some industry uh, experts uh, to kind of support them. And uh, while I was at Santec with, uh, you know, some of the team members who are actually even with me now, uh, we were able to get in touch with Homer and we started a process of really, uh, you know, educating your dad. He's a, uh, a very detail-oriented, methodical guy who uh, really uh, has shaped a lot of what uh, is now the Algonquin that I think the world would know, and uh, and I have a really strong appreciation for your for your father's uh, thought process, and I'd like to say that I participated in a in a way that uh, you know I, I gained a little bit of that respect through that process as well, and uh, it was it was just a I mean a, an awesome experience back in uh, the feed and tariff days when okay. things felt things felt a little bit crazy and but. Uh, yeah, it's great opportunity to work with your dad. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it, it's um, you know, have, he's been there now. I think getting close to thirty years, and you know, it's a it was a fun company to watch as a you know as I was growing up, and and it was a small company at the time, and you get exposed to the culture, and then you know see it grow and change, and um, you know, he's he's been a part of all of that. You know, I, we grew up going on on family trips and it would always involve a trip to the local hydroelectric facility. Right. And, and then it was wind and now it's solar and, um, you know, now, you know, they're doing everything. Right. So, um, but yeah, he, he, uh, he certainly enjoyed working with you as well. And those were, uh, those were interesting times as, as we are now, uh, in interesting times. But, yeah. And, uh, and I'd say, I'd say for me, even the, uh, that experience in my life with, uh, interacting with Algonquin and hearing their story from, you know, from your dad and then also from Jeff and also from Ian, uh, you know, that, um, that it really has helped shape my view of kind of where opportunity exists, watching markets grow. I think they are the forefathers of, of really, you know, what is kind of the, the current day renewable energy developer, renewable energy IDP. Uh, and we see a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of prototyping of, of kind of what an organizational structure looks like that's based on, you know, the the three guys out of school diving in and just rolling up their sleeves and doing things that, um, you know, utilities, you know, I, I think the, on, you know, Ontario Hydro at the time would have said, no, no, nobody can do this. 
and they rolled up their sleeves and they just said, let's go get it done. And yeah. uh, seen that model repeated now with a number of different renewable companies. And I think really they're the, they're the forefathers of sort of getting access and building the capital structures that they did and had morphed into, which, um, you know, it's great success for them. So. Oh, cool. I, I had not, I, I've never heard that kind of description of them. So that, but I, I a hundred percent agree with it. The way you, the way you describe it, um, stepping back prior to that, so you were in the space already when you meet Homer and you meet Algonquin, what, what gets you into this space? I mean, I, I grew up in it, like I said, because of Algonquin, what got you into the space, Jeremy? Yeah, so, you know, definitely um, going back as far as my, my MBA, um, you know, I've, I've always had a, an interest in, in kind of uh, understanding organizational structure and cultures. Uh, and, and, I, and I have kids. Uh, I, I have three, three kids that are, you know, kind of middle ages starting we're going to be in the teenage years here shortly. So, uh, the, uh, the excitement of, of kind of when they're younger, really starting to think about what the future looks like. Um, I, re I really kind of, I really kind of think that that it, you sit and you think about things at that moment in time in terms of what you want to create. And, uh, and ultimately for me, it was, there were two things that I'm really interested in. One is, creating a sustainable organization, uh, you know, one that really has a view that's uh, longer than just my lifetime, you know, one that, that has some staying power. And I oftentimes challenge our, our organization internally to think about, you know, what if this is a hundred years from now, you know, what, what is SunGrid look like in a hundred years from now? Cause I, I'm going to be dead. Uh, you know, my, my kids are probably going to be dead. And, and, and so there isn't really going to be, uh, you know, this, this, um, you know, the same ability to kind of have this direct, you know, this direct control. And so we have to start to create sustainable organizations. You know, Simon Simonek talks about it in, in his, his, his book, The Infinite Game. And for us, um, you know, for me specifically, I think that's, that's one area. The other area is kind of being in an industry that's, that's making a difference. Uh, because ultimately, we, you know, not only do we want to have an organization that makes good decisions, but it, it should be in an industry that is actually making a difference and has some staying power. Um, and so, so those two things, I think, for myself, have really been uh, key focuses in the renewable space. I think the opportunity just hit at the right time through the Renewable Energy Standard Offer Program, where uh, just fortuitously, I had a skill set in kind of management and an understanding of, of kind of engineering through my background in engineering, uh, in consulting engineering, uh, where um, we were getting involved in some, you know, government projects and some other generation projects, uh, you know, using CHP and some other things like that, and, and just saw the writing on the wall that this was going to be something that was much bigger uh, than... Um, you know, than I, than I think uh, people really could have forecasted at the beginning. So I've been happy to participate and, and I've always taken a view that uh, we have to be flexible to figure out exactly what the role is. Because um, these projects, you know, no, nobody knows, I think, when they start exactly what the, uh, exactly what the long-term ramifications are going to be. Yeah. 
I love that, and, and you beat me to the punch on the Simon Sinek Infinite Game uh, reference. I was I was going to bring that up, and and as you're talking, I'm I'm reflecting on <clears throat> that book, and 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 that really what he does is he gives. I think he does a good job of giving voice to what a lot of us know, but he has this skill to kind of put it into prose or put it into context, and and um, and and you know that that's a skill that he's leveraged. So right now you're then your incarnation of how you're doing that is 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 SunGrid, right? Like talk to us about practically what what SunGrid is, what you guys do as an organization, your space in the market. Yeah, so founded in 2011. Uh, you know, by and large started, uh, you know, renewable energy consultancy. Uh, there was, um, you know, some other individuals involved kind of supporting the business up, up until about three years ago. So I, I actually was actively involved in another uh, ITP development firm uh, and was part owner of, of that, that group uh, okay. up until a few years ago. Uh, and then took on the role uh, inside SunGrid to, to look for opportunities to grow the business. And, you know, I am, I am a majority shareholder of the business uh, and have taken on the opportunity to kind of figure out, uh, you know, how can SunGrid make a difference? Uh, and so for us, uh, you know, recognizing kind of that gate to plate, because I've been through the engineering consulting, you know, been through the ITP sort of development long-term ownership, you know, and, and ultimately participated in a number of those things. I think the number one area where I see that, um, you know, an engineering focused organization can add value uh, is really as an ETC. Uh, and it's really with, with a real strong focus on the E. Uh, and so for us, um, in everything we do, uh, we focus on, on really being engineers, making engineering decisions uh, and and as much as we um, can influence and and basically have influence over projects, you know, we we really want to take that perspective of problem solving, uh, and we do that in project management and uh, our project management practices. We do that, you know, in in um, kind of all aspects of deployment. So, so sometimes, uh, especially in evolving industries. Uh, you know, there's opportunities, uh, and some people say that changes the way that we were thinking about things. Uh, and for us, that's really what we want to do. And and we've we've taken on this role of kind of being, you know, an EPC with a big E. Uh, and and the focus that we've taken on is really right sizing the engineering to the asset investment. Uh, and so. For a utility that's making a, a 50 and a 60 year decision because that's, that's the time horizon they're deciding on, they may choose different equipment than, than a group that is making a, a, you know, a five or a 10 year payback decision. And, right. and for us, the differences within the industry and the ability for us to be able to you know, interface with product suppliers, help make the right decisions that right size the, the asset investment alongside uh, you, you know, right by right sizing, and I think we're able to really uh, save a lot of cost from what other uh, groups may do, uh, and and really ultimately kind of get to sort of a lowest cost of of deployment. You know, that being said, uh, SunGrid is very much uh, during my time at the, this last company that I was at. Um, during my time there, I recognized that the model of the long term power purchase agreement, uh, the, that model of, of seeing 20-year, uh, you know, 30-year 
uh, even 15-year uh, power purchase agreements is kind of gone by the wayside. And we've seen a heavy, heavy push into more market-based structures. Uh, and so for us, we see that uh, in that opportunity, energy storage is, is just a major component. It yeah. has the capability to react and act in a way that uh, really drives, uh, you know, investment uh, and really gives the, the capability for um, organizations to, to, to now decouple energy from capacity and give them the capability to make capacity decisions. Uh, and so as we, as, as we were kind of coming in and sort of, you know, really putting the push on with SunGrid, um, we, we very much have taken a focus on, on, you know, EPC, but specifically even within the energy storage space. Uh, okay. So we, um, you know, we've uh, been involved in about 250 megawatt hours of projects. Uh, we, we very much, about 90% of our business is uh, energy storage based. Uh, we do have a small component that is uh, still solar based. And we okay. expect that, you know, these will kind of grow in, in lockstep uh, together. Um, but today we really see the opportunity to kind of be out in front of energy storage, really help with energy storage and kind of, you know, really focus on the EPC components that, uh, you know, that, that we see as, as you know, growing so quickly right now. So the, the, the main or the core business is, is EPC. You, you, you don't take an, an equity stake in projects, like you're not doing the IPP development anymore? No, no. So, so for us, um, you know, there's uh, that group of people are our main customer base. Uh, okay, yeah. and, and so for us, uh, we, get, we have a strong appreciation. You know, obviously it's in, it's in my DNA, you know, it's in my core. I can't, uh, I, I can't deny that, um, but that gives me the capability to, you know, really we've started to build it in the DNA of SunGrid, that we understand that decision-making, you know, heuristic that's being used by the developer, by the ITP, by the yeah. bank, you know, and that process that pushes through, you know, an EPC contract and is looking for certain guarantees and is looking for performance and capacity guarantees. And that that background and experience that I have really allows for us to right size to match kind of the investment that's being made, as well as the risk profile that is experienced at different stages of a project. So when mm. we come to a project, if it's early stage, you know, we're not coming with the I'm a consulting engineer and I have to make my hourly rate. I think we come and say that we know that there's an enabling moment in time where you need a drawing. It's great. We can produce a drawing. That's something we do every day. And, and we'll help enable a project through a milestone that a developer, you know, as they're transitioning to, to kind of pass the baton to the ITP or the bank, you know, we try to right-size what we're doing to, to match the risk profile. And, you know, it, it just, it, it really is something that's well embraced by the industry. Um, and, and we've really been able to do that. I, you know, I imagine for you the success of, uh, you know, CEM and, and that similar story of knowing, you know, what Algonquin went through and sort of aligning that for you guys has been a huge, huge, um, you know, a huge part of your success as well. Yeah, it's interesting that you, you draw that link because, you know, of course, CEM was started by uh, um, Homer's older brother, Martin, um, and, uh, and one of the early clients was Algonquin. And so 
uh, Martin will tell stories of, you know, flying around with Ian and Chris and looking at assets all over, you know, God's creation and, and, but really getting that development mindset, right? And so we have taken that, uh, and, and Martin had it prior to CEM as well from his time with Tormont and other, other places, but taking that mindset of, of, you know, we're going from an idea to some, some project that is going to either, you know, increase savings or drive, you know, revenue or, or something, um, you know, and what the steps are and that vision of what that looks like, you know, in our space, it's been not, not so much that, you know, we know what the banks and the IPPs are looking for. In our space, in the industrial, it's it's positioned us as, you know, we can take you folks through the wilderness of developing a project, and it has allowed us to um, kind of garner trust, uh, is my hope, in that space to say, okay, we've got to go from here to here to here. This is going to take a long time. Bear with us. And then there's this and there's this and there's this. Um, and, and to your point, you know, it, if you have that development mindset as opposed to a, you know, I got to build my hours mindset or I got to make my revenue targets, you know, have that development mindset. It's, yeah, you use the word sustainability. I like that. It's, it's just, it's a longer kind of a, a bigger picture vision. And I think it, it's received well by, you know, by the marketplace. So, um, Cool. Yeah, having having lived through you know the permitting stages and the you know and and you, you in energy storage we're dealing with a lot of new developers you know and they and they'll come and they'll say oh this is you know this is just going to take me three weeks don't worry about it and and we'll oftentimes kind of respond saying okay you know we're here for you we're here to support you we want to enable you um, definitely that's not a three week process but. You're just, you know, we're here for you, and we'll make sure that we're adapting and we're um, making sure that we're lining up against them. And so that that listening ear, uh, yeah. that you know, is with them through it without without really them. Because um, the other thing I would say about developers is they're fiercely competitive and very very guarded around mm. things that are theirs. Uh, and so for us, we are able to kind of come with a you know, an agnostic, non-competitive, non, and and we're able to be there and kind of work through the process with them. That uh, you know, I think they really appreciate that, and and uh, you know, and we've seen it in the success that we've had. That you know, we we get to the end, and it, you know, a project never goes according to plan. It always is hiccups and bumps. Uh, but I think uh, you know, when you're when you're able to maintain that relationship. Uh, that that really is the ultimate thing that's of value. The you know the relationship for us is the thing that is core to the value of our our business. Uh, I think we we view that as success. Is that we get to the end and we say, yeah, did it was everything perfect? Well, it's a project, so no. But we were able to manage through it in a way where there was respect and there was a process, and we able we were able to have success at the end because something was was built. Yeah, and a lot of people bristle at the relationship analogy, but I, I think it is it is a healthy one because in any relationship there's going to be friction, there's going to be problems that you have to work through, and and really the success to any commun uh, relationship is communication, right? And so if you can work on your communication throughout, you, you can make it through, and you can you know you can you can get to the end of the story. Um, <clears throat> with respect to let, let's talk now about energy storage a bit more. Um, so that's that's the biggest part of your business. Are you 
where, where are you seeing the most activity in terms of either geographic markets or different market segments? Um, mm -hmm. Not really kind of what types of, of developers is it? Is it technology driven development? Is it, you know, kind of more IPPs? Like wh what do you see in terms of the, the broader, you know, strokes of, of the energy storage market? Uh, yeah, so a majority of our business is uh, US based. Uh, so we, we have uh, offices in Houston, uh, in Buffalo, New York, uh, and then here in Cambridge, okay. uh, just, just outside Toronto. And um, yeah, the big markets, I mean, we're doing projects right now in uh, California, Texas, uh, New York, Washington State, uh, Massachusetts, and Ontario. Uh, and so, and so, um, you know, it's a fairly broad, yeah. broad they are all very different, you know, uh, key markets that, that, you know, we see, they kind of are different dependent on the contract structure. So, so Texas is, is very market-based. Uh, it is, it looks a lot like Alberta. It's a deregulated market, uh, where, where really we see the, the higher risk, um, propensity, the developers are really taking on sort of, you know, direct uh, equity on balance sheet funded in front of the meter, um, you know, asset deployment. You know, in New York, we see more of the the, the, the Vader program, uh, as well as a couple of the other demand response programs as being key drivers, uh, where, you know, the commitment there is to very large uh, battery deployment, which we're, we're getting involved in some of the non-wires alternatives projects, um, you know, that are even being contracted by the utilities directly. Uh, mm. in, in Washington state, it's, it's kind of a one-off. I mean, there's a small fund program there that's, uh, you know, dedicated to doing funding of some energy storage and we're doing a, an island off-grid project uh, that is a, a two, two megawatt hour off-grid project, which, uh, you know, is utility interconnected and, and will kind of work for grid resiliency. And then one of the largest markets that we see is is Ontario, and it is the Global Adjustment Program, yeah. uh, where where we see you know the incentive today is uh, to to avoid five peaks uh, at you know close to six hundred thousand dollars per per megawatt um, is the highest uh, payback uh, you know revenue stream uh, available to to anybody in North America. Um, and, and, you know, and so for us, we are obviously seeing a, a lot in Ontario, um, but it, it definitely is not the only market, uh, and the volume of projects that, you know, that, that we're seeing, um, I think, you know, tech, Texas, California, New York are really now catching up and starting to give Ontario a run for its money. Uh, I do, I do think the last year, uh, and two years is, you know, Ontario has been kind of the singular jurisdiction with the most energy storage deployment, uh, but yeah. we're going to start to see that match. Um, and we've seen some very large projects coming through the pipeline in, in all jurisdictions. Right. And so <clears throat> what you're seeing across the board, some of it is in front of the meter, some of it is behind the meter, some of it is market driven, some of it is. Um, you know, maybe contractor, and you're seeing kind of the whole gamut of of types of projects, funding mechanisms, contract structures. You know, it's a mixed mixed bag, basically. Yeah, and and by by being an EPC who's focused on the infrastructure, 
you know, we're, we, we like to classify ourselves as an infrastructure company. Uh, we really want to build the, the connection points for enabling the, the battery technology to be used, uh, as well as then sort of taking the, you know, whatever that financial system is that's being used. You know, we, we work with, uh, you know, developers and financiers to say this, this is how this infrastructure will be able to interact and, and enable you to, to get your paybacks and your revenue and the like. What does that look like from a SunGrid perspective to integrate um, with the developer, whoever it is, in the early stages? You know, on one hand, they own they own the pro forma, and you own the technology piece. But those two can't exist without each other. What does that look like in terms of the back and forth? Are you doing a lot of the leading in terms of how the pro forma should be structured and? Or, or are they doing it and they're just asking you questions or it's somewhere in between? No, I, I, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of very financially sophisticated uh, people out there who are, who are constantly, you know, looking at, um, you know, non-wires alternatives, market-based payment structures, node pricing, you know, operating reserve, RSBC, you know, hoop, hoop or hourly pricing. You know, uh, there's a there's a lot of people, um, you know, in the energy space, and and that's in the gas space, uh, that's in the renewable space, uh, that's in the electricity and distribution space, uh, and there's a lot of very sophisticated uh, people who are who are coming up with the strategies, uh, and so for us, they're they're coming and bringing these strategies and saying, this is what I want to do. Uh, and for us, I mean, it's transformers, it's wires, uh, you know, yeah, it's batteries. There's a few different battery technologies out there. Uh, in certain situations, it's gas, you know, looking at, at, at hybrid uh, with, with natural gas generators. In some cases, it's solar with storage. Uh, and, and for us, um, we see the decision point of beginning to own the energy decision as something that that information is becoming readily available now to everybody in every market. And mm. as energy becomes, you know, and capacity and power, uh, power in general, as it becomes something that people are gaining information about, they're going to evolve their understanding uh, and really begin to take on these different permutations and strategies. Uh, and for us, you know, we focus on the stuff that's, it's easy for us because we know wires and lines. Uh, that's the area where, where we really kind of have settled in and been able to say we can build the infrastructure to do just about anything. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, and, and, and for us, the focus is not, not just to be wires and lines guys who know a lot because there is a lot of guys out there who understand that, but to be you know, one step ahead in understanding the, the right sizing to the asset to start to enable those next projects that are, you know, maybe on the bubble. Because right. the sophisticated strategies, you know, they, a lot of them that are doing revenue stacking and, and, and revenue sharing and, and are bearing risk, you know, with certain returns expectations, you know, they, the strategies of old of build me 50 year infrastructure it, it does. They two, the two today don't necessarily meet, 
And as we get involved, we really start to right size and that ultimately lowers the cost, which ultimately enables, you know, a variety of different strategies and and that and that's kind of how we get involved is that we we dig in and we say, okay, we understand what we want the asset to do. Now we'll take it and we'll we'll work with those pieces to say how can we make sure that we get the cost to the point where it's ultimately going to going to enable this uh, enable this story. And when you get into that right sizing of technology, does that include an analysis of you know the energy storage tech, storage technology at the core of it? And I'm thinking of you know there's probably a slew of lithium ion technologies, but are you looking you know beyond lithium ion? Are there different kind of energy storage technologies, even kind of open up the envelope to, you know, compressed air storage, pumped hydro, like how broad does the envelope get and, and how does that, what does that analysis look like for you? Because I think you're technology agnostic, right? Yeah, we're, we're technology agnostic. Uh, you know, definitely we have an understanding of, um, we, you know, we do have strong partnerships with many of the equipment uh, suppliers in the industry. So we have a strong relationship with uh, with Pound Energy, who is an LMP-based integrator. Uh, okay. But we're working we're working with Tesla Systems. We're working with uh, Samsung and SunGrow. Uh, we're working with uh, some of the other, you know, E-Zinc, uh, you know, who I think has been on this podcast uh, previously. Yeah. And yeah. We're, we're, we're interfacing with those guys and focusing on the pieces that we know which is the infrastructure. Uh, and so sometimes that comes in the form of, you know, how do you, how do you put the batteries together in a more cost-effective way? Sometimes that comes in the, how do we get, you know, the energy and the capacity to the grid uh, in a different way, you know, or, or to the user in a different way. And so for us, um, we, we are interfacing, you know, we even have lots of meetings with HydroStore talking about hybrid systems with the, the compressed air solutions. Yeah. Uh, and, and for us, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really about the right sizing. The, the thing, the thing that we would say about the lithium ion, um, you know, I make the analogy that it's very similar to, uh, solar, you know, in solar, we saw thin film technology. We've seen monocrystalline, polycrystalline. We've seen concentrated solar. We saw a variety of technologies. You know, and, and we even see that technology in a relationship where wind even exists, you know, and, 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 and so for lithium ion in a, in a more of a steady state uh, sort of, um, you know, energy and capacity application, I'd say that's kind of like you're, you, you know, a little bit more like solar. The wind is probably a little bit more analogous to, uh, to the flow batteries. Uh, the flow batteries, you know, have a lot more moving parts to them, uh, and 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 sort of look a little bit more like like a like a wind facility as opposed right. to lithium. And the and the volume, you know, the one thing that really I think for the solar industry was great success was the ability to be able to get access to a repeatable process with tolerances that were not perfect. I mean, like we definitely don't see that every panel is you know within this within this perfect tolerance but it's within an acceptable tolerance that now you can produce it in in mass quantities and so quickly that that it's within an acceptable tolerance that now it can become adopted by really i would say the financing institutions and things like this and and that 
flow of cash that now because the tolerances are acceptable, the risks are now managed, you know, within lithium ion, this is exactly what we see is that the tolerances have now come and, and we do see a differentiation between uh, NMC, you know, nickel, magnesium, cobalt and LFP, the iron phosphate technology. I mean, that's probably the, you know, within, within the lithium ion, uh, lit, you know, lithium ion space, like this is probably the two main technologies that are, that are kind of evolving. And this yeah. is where we're seeing volume production, you know, a supply chain that's, that's able to kind of, you know, build itself around cost effective deployment and, and getting to a volume that's now accepted by uh, the industry at large. And that's, you know, that's something where flow batteries, you know, there's work to do. Uh, there's, you know, other technologies and we, we do see niche applications and we do see markets where a lot of these technologies will have success. Yes. Uh, and, and for us, even when we interface with these groups, like, like Ezink, we say really hone in on where that value proposition is and don't go and try to, you know, beat lithium ion. You know, this is, this is, you know, if, if you're in a really windy spot in the middle of Missouri, you know, and you, and you get, and you get rain there, but it's really windy. I mean, you, you just, you're not going to look at solar as being the right opportunity. You're going to say, oh, this is a perfect spot for wind. And, right. and likewise, if you focus in on that opportunity to say, where can I add the most value? Because, you know, the island situations, the microgrids, the long durations, you know, they don't look like frequency response downtown New York City. You know, right. they don't look like uh, Caliso hybrid gas energy store, you know, gas hybrid with energy storage in, in 800 megawatt hour, you know, uh, size. They, they probably look like a little bit more of a niche, you know, focus, you know, three, four, five megawatt hour uh, longer duration and, and a little bit more based around resiliency. Yeah. And, and, and so for us, you know, I think, I think it's one of the challenges that I've seen within the space of, of flow batteries is that they've kind of taken on this us versus them. And I, and, and I think really it should be that, you know, there is a more focused market where they do add value. There should be a focusing that happens and it should be an us and them, you know, right. it is, it's not that it's going to cease to exist. It's that it will, it, you know, exist in concert with each other. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and we see that the analogy that comes to mind as you're talking for us on the gas side is, you know, you got a gas turbine, you have a recip engine, right? There, you know, there's some overlap in terms of the types of projects, but there is also a lot of projects that shouldn't use a gas turbine and other ones that shouldn't use a recip engine. Now, those who are selling a technology will, you know, say that they're, technologies fit for purpose everywhere but that's the that's the value that somebody like yourself can add and say no we'll we'll look at everything but he will articulate to you the reasons why you know this lithium ion is better than this flow battery you know or, or whatever right and, and so there needs to be and that comes back to the relationship piece right the relationship is built on trust and so somebody if they trust what you're saying to them, they're going to say, okay, Jeremy's telling me it needs to be lithium ion for these three reasons. I have a relationship with him. So, you know, that's the way, that's the way we're going to go and that will pay off, you know, in the long run. But um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, trying to be all things to all people, um, you know, in today's day and age and today's dynamic market, you know, although it, 
it feels like the right thing to do kind of in some ways. On the other hand, you know, you need to be really focused and provide maximum value to a smaller um, subset of the market. So uh, that's, that's, yeah, that's and, an interesting for you, yeah. Yeah, and for us, I mean, being infrastructure guys, I mean, we kind of focus on supporting, you know, whatever whatever the right fit is, and and so we're not there, you know, to 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 push them in any one specific direction. I think we're there to support the project as a whole. I think the things that we see, you know, distributed distributed energy resources are beginning to take hold, and and I think that's a byproduct of availability of information. That's a byproduct of people starting to want to. To, to modify and change kind of how they view their world. Uh, and so as, as organizations and as people start to do that, you know, I think, you know, the natural gas component, the energy storage component and the renewable component, you know, all three will exist in some form. Uh, and the way that, the way that we start our conversations are, it, I, it doesn't matter which one you, you're looking at, you should look at it and it's your starting point. It's your starting point in beginning to own your energy and capacity decision, which yeah. is a lot different than 50 years ago. And, and 50 years ago, the technology was not what it is now. And so 50 years ago, we said, well, we'll just burden the, the utility with solving this problem for us. And, and the utilities, you know, I think um, they, they gained uh, you know, they've, they've almost overused that trust where now they've set up their system such to say, okay, well, I need X plus X, you know, or N plus one redundancy in everything I do, which ultimately has now created this problem where as the information's become available, it's, it's now difficult for them to be able to adapt. And so that we're, we're ending up in this moment in time where, you know, I don't think that grid is ever going away. Uh, the grid is will always be a necessary component. We always have you know some form of larger centralized generation, but right sizing the the investment, right sizing the capability set, and being flexible to meet the need of the customer. I th I think there is an evolution of the utility that's going to happen, and I and I think um, you know what what we see is this balancing point where some utilities they're not. They're not going to be able to keep up, and there's there's really smart people out there who are coming to get them. You know, the the there is some smart financing guys, and and they they they're building structures and plans, and ultimately that that will will really begin to 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 take away from from many of the utilities. Likewise, we say some of the IPPs that are out there that aren't thinking fast enough and keeping up with kind of what what they need to be taking into consideration. There are some smart utilities out there, uh, and and ultimately, you know, I think the utilities move a little bit slower. Uh, the the true moment for us that we see of of real exponential growth uh, in the energy storage space is as the utilities really embrace this as as kind of the way for them to to best manage their customers. Uh, and when that happens, I mean, you're going to see a lot of growth within the space. So, yeah, we're here and, you know, listening as much as we can and trying to interpret as much as we can as we kind of get ready for that moment. Yeah. So I think what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, that the market, the market will determine the winners and losers. You know, you're going to have uh, it, it's it's a good moment for Adam Smith and the invisible hand, right? Like the, you're going to have. <laughs> You're going to have people who are going to adapt and they're going to grow with the market and you're going to have others who aren't going to adapt and are going to shrink with the market, right? That's really, and I it, think. Being and, 
Yeah, and it's Simon Sinek, you know, talking about capitalism, you know. The truest form of capitalism is not what we have today. Right. It's, it's not actually, you know, it's, it's, it's capitalism that looks towards the infinite gain. If mm. you think of capitalism that looks to the long run, you start to see organizations that say, yes, I have to be flexible and adaptable and market-based today. And as I capitalize on that moment in time, I'm not doing it just to maximize my bonus or maximize my instantaneous payout. I'm doing it with the long run that, you know, that ultimately we can, we can build something that's better, more sustainable and, and the like. So, it, you know, it's all those things working in concert for sure. And that theory is, is you know, really apt today. In, in today's climate with COVID-19, you, you step back and you say, well, who's, who's not, you know, everybody's sweating, don't get me wrong, but who's kind of churning forward. And, you know, um, every time I talk to Homer, they, they really are at Algonquin and big IPPs who have embraced this renewable mindset. And you read that even in, you know, the MSNBCs and everybody who's, you know, looking at the marketplace, those are some of the areas where they've built their businesses over 20 or 30 years and are ready for this, you know, stress tested environment. Now, nobody's perfect. Don't get me wrong, but it's in these times of, significant market correction where that long view, you know, starts to pay off, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. I think it's, it is, uh, you know, I, it, any CEO that's now working from home, any executive that's now working from home, I think you, you're getting those quiet moments that are not filled with firefighting. They, that you get the, a few of those, you know, just even fractional seconds that you actually get to strategically envision, uh, you know, something for the future. You know, when we go back to work and when we evolve out of this, what are we hoping to create uh, and, and really envision? And I think those quiet moments are, are really, you know, there's going to be organizations that, uh, you know, that they, they take those moments to really think uh, introspectively how to uh, get ahead. Uh, and really try to to make sure that we're innovating and evolving and and you know and we we outside of our industry we've seen it with companies that are completely switching their manufacturing processes to yeah. be able to support you know healthcare industry and and do some phenomenal things. I mean, I I wish I wish we made widgets sometimes so that we could you know participate and help a little bit more, you know. But uh, but for us, I think it's it is definitely in this COVID time that uh you know the strategic views the ability to sort of think a little bit more uh you know along the lines of the long term you know like this is the real opportunity for us you know in this moment of something that's a little bit different and yeah. uh and i think we're gonna see we're gonna see the winners and we're gonna see the groups that that come out of this really with uh you know implementation of those things that they've really had the chance to sort of resonate with mm. yeah no that's interesting so, you know, building on that COVID piece, like what's your, you know, one of the questions I've always asked about energy storage is, you know, to your point earlier about the market is getting more dynamic, more people are taking control of their uh, energy decisions because the technology is better and the information is more available and that's only going to get more prevalent. And so I guess this is a question specifically in the Ontario context that you have you know, more people in the market with better information. Um, and now you have COVID. I don't know if you, there was a post that somebody circulated today about yesterday's 
uh, grid and how you know the, the demand profile didn't hardly match at all what everybody predicted. Um, when you talk about finite energy storage, uh, let's you know contrast it with some a different DER that's not finite. You know, are you do you have hesitation? Do you have concerns? Like you know, do you see in a in a dynamic market? You know, and then you throw COVID on top of it. Um, how do you kind of stand behind an energy storage technology uh, that has a finite life? How do you guys get around that piece of it? Hey, I think um, we're not a peak predictor, uh, so we, we definitely don't play that role. We're not a we're not we're not a software guy, um, right? And for us, being an infrastructure guy, we we fortunately can kind of plead the fifth and say <laughs> it's not us, um, right? Which, uh, you know, I, like, I think we're in the fortunate position that we don't have to do that, but we recognize uh, the, the need to kind of build on on that for, for our, you know, with, with the relationships that we've got with others. Uh, and, and as we kind of look at that, you know, we would say the workforce is going to go back to work. You know, that moment in time is going to happen. And, and yes, the ability to predict in these uncertain times, I mean, you know, IESOs, uh, you know, had a couple of posts that, that say, oh, demand is nowhere near. And, and so for us, I mean, I think we, we see that the, the true root and the base, uh, the base load power that is kind of the building blocks that make up the, the peak in Ontario. I mean, those are heavily reduced at this moment in time, just based on, on the strategies that we have to take to sort of, you know, handle a, you know, more of a, more of a, what's in the public interest. Uh, and so when we begin to, you know, morph and sort of go back to work, uh, and we start to see that ramp up, I think we will start to see, you know, a little bit more back to normal sort of, uh, load profiles. I even expect that we will see um, additional load uh, mm. because when everybody goes back, I think that, that it will be more in full force and we will have less, you know, rotating loads that are on their sort of seasonal process. I think we'll have, um, you know, a lot more happening all at once. Mm. Uh, and, and then what happens is we become much more tied to the weather. Uh, you know, the correlations that we see in terms of uh, the impacts of weather on, 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 on the peak, uh, you know, definitely, definitely there's a, there's a correlation. So is it a, you know, w would I want to be sitting out there with a, with a one hour battery? You know, pr probably not, but the two, three, you know, four hour batteries, I think, um, you know, we, we definitely see that those are, those are still going to be following a very similar profile. They're still going to be following, um, you know, there's the information that's available from the ISO and from all, from, from all the different sources, you know, peak predictors out there and, uh, and even just data aggregators. And, you know, I think, I think ultimately the shifting we'll see will, you know, will be, um, it will be manageable in terms of being able to to kind of manage the peak. We, you know, ma many that um, many of the groups that are kind of making decisions for for gas generators. I, I mean, essentially, they're taking like a one time. I'll remove myself from having to worry about any of that, and so those actually come off the bottom. They don't mm. come off the top mm. because we don't see a, a dispatch that says, "Oh, I'm going to time when I turn my gas generator on to the hour." They actually yeah. say, turn on at, at six o'clock in the morning and I'm going to run for the day. 
and and because they're doing that they're actually removing the base load which means that the effect on the peak is actually going to be very similar for the batteries i mean it's 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 the base load guys you know they they just say i don't want to play the game and and the guys who are doing the peak the profile is going to look very very similar it's, it's so, kind of my yeah that's it i've never really thought of it that way but you're right it, instead of the peak being uh, 22,000, it might be 20,000, but the shape of the curve will still predominantly be the same. Yeah. yeah. Is, is COVID affecting your business right now with, I presume you're all working remotely at this point? Yeah. Um, so we definitely have a lot, uh, in construction. So we've, we've moved to a process that we, we classify selective gathering. Uh, okay. we, we do definitely have, uh, you know, remote working, uh, set up and, uh, fortunately for, project management and engineering. These are things that, uh, you know, we coordinate on a daily basis and, you know, they're, they're individual tasks that, you know, our team has to do and then sort of bring together. Uh, there's been, there's been challenges with that, but you know, that, that I think is, uh, the, the least, the least that we can do in order to be able to do our part. Uh, the construction work has, has been a little bit more, uh, challenging. You know, we're, we're interfacing on site with a lot of groups, uh, you know, industrial owners, uh, you know, financiers, um, you know, site construction workers, our project management team, our engineers, you know, site inspectors, uh, authorization agencies. And, and so if any one of those pieces really uh, can't participate in the fullest way, it yes. it is 100% um, causes uh, you know, causes delay. Um, but I think everybody's been very understanding, you know, if, if there's one group within that whole mix, uh, you know, I think everybody's understanding that we need to do our part. Um, and so for us, we're, we're pushing through that and, and really ultimately, you know, still bring lots of projects online and, and still, you know, rolling up our sleeves. Uh, what about and side of things, are you seeing issues with supply? So a lot of uh, a lot of the supply chain issues that we saw actually we started seeing back in January. Uh, huh. you know, given that um, much of the product uh, that we see, and we and we have um, you know a number of our team members are actually uh, you, you know uh, immigrants who come from from China, okay. uh, and you know and and so we we started uh, feeling and preparing and and really kind of understanding the magnitude of, of kind of what was happening uh, a, a little bit I'd say a little bit earlier than than some um, just given that the supply chain there kind of had this uh, this starting effect where it was a wind down and a concern and uh, and then in through February uh, you know really we've been managing through some of those supply chain issues most of which are are, are basically resolved on that front and now it's you know, now it's more the construction aspects that, uh, you know, where we're starting to see, see impact. I mean, the, you know, and even the impact in the supply chain, like it, it was two and a half to three weeks, you know, kind of oh, maximum. Really? Okay. Yeah, what well, it was, it's, yeah. I mean, there, I oftentimes will talk about COVID and the differences in reaction between a democratic society and a, and a socialist society where in a socialist society, I mean, they, they take measures, uh, you know, and have the ability to take such drastic action. And, and here in it, you know, not only are we in a democratic society where we subscribe to sort of, you know, what the government's telling us, but we're democratic and we all have our own personal opinions about what we should be doing. 
And so it's like it bleeds into this like I this freedom that I think is a is a really a privilege. And unfortunately that privilege people sometimes treat it like it's just a right and then and then ultimately we get a bit of a dragging that in in more of a, a, a socialist society where there is real um, organization that kind of subscribes to the hierarchy, they take action and I mean it's decisive. It is definitely yeah. decisive. Uh, and so I, and I think, I think, you know, society at large now in North America is starting to kind of realize like, you know, the effect of the actions. Um, and, and I hope, and I hope for everybody, you know, shelter in place and, and, and really being able to kind of manage through, you know, remote scenarios. Like I think, I hope everybody's, you know, taking it as seriously as they should be. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the, the benefits of, of, you know, kind of business leadership is, is it's a bit more, you know, we, we, we try to manage with a very participatory approach to running the company, but in times like this, we can just say, nobody's coming in tomorrow, work from home. Yeah. Right. And, and now not everybody's set up that way, but there, there are some benefits to being able to, in times of crisis say, Nope, this is the way we're going. And, and, and thanks for your support in advance kind of thing. So um, on the, Pivoting a little bit on the projects that you're doing, how do you execute from an EPC perspective in you know Washington State, Texas, in Ontario? Are you project managing and then finding local contracting partners? Is that how you do it? Yeah, so you know, just like we manage the relationships with with our you know financiers and IPPs, um, you know, and energy energy storage provider uh, groups, we we likewise. That relationship approach uh, for us is one that also applies locally, uh, and and so our team of engineers and project managers, you know, we we have kind of a couple groupings of them, you know, in the U.S. and then in Canada, um, they're they're mandated uh, to build local relationships. You know, okay. they're mandated they're mandated to also make sure that they're they're maintaining relationships with kind of our end our end customers who are financing these projects. And so by becoming a bit of the bridge in the relationship, you know, I think for us, we're able to, um, you know, not, not come in, you know, as the white knight who's brought all the people who are just going to come and slaughter the project and then go away. I think for us, we're engaging that local workforce. There's, there's generally resources and people that, that know and have a familiarity with with all the things that we do, there's there's very little that is required to bring together these projects. Um, that that is that is novel and is new and is it's completely out of the box. And and the battery suppliers are doing an awesome job of of, of bringing us technology that's you know very um, very plug and play, uh, as well as the 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 IPPs and the peak predictors. You know they're they're bringing solutions that say okay we need to line up against this. So inside that narrow spot uh, where you know where we exist in, in trying to provide our our value, you know it, it it for us the flexibility the adaptability to every market that we go in is the understanding of how those pieces will go together and the types of resources that we need to draw out of the local community uh, in order to be able to bring that together. So there are some things you know on the engineering front. You know, there's there's a lot of engineers across North America who have no idea about how this stuff goes together. That that's where we're able to to come and 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 bring that perspective. You know, from the project management perspective, you know, 
the purchasing of materials, the procurement processes that we go through to, you know, buy certain elements and make sure that those certain elements are, are interfacing with, you know, with PCS units, inverters, uh, and then and then with batteries. And so that that puzzle piece patchwork that we're kind of able to bring together, you know, the puzzle pieces that we see is the local local resources. Um, you know, we, we very much see that we, that's, that's part of engaging the local community. That's not something that, you know, for us is, it's not cost effective. It's not, you know, environmentally sound for us to go and take, you know, uh, a group from this community and fly them halfway around the world to, to, to put themselves down to, to turn wrenches and to, to do things that really there is already expertise in the local community. Uh, and so, you know there are situations where we do have to cross pollinate, um, and we have to we have to kind of bring resources in and try to pair them alongside others. Uh, but but we we do that, and 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 you know we want to really um, you know leave the communities kind of better than we found them, and give them the opportunity to kind of have been involved in the project. And you know it's 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 labor hours that for us we we work with them to try and make sure they're they've right sized their approach, right. uh, and. And for us, that's, you know, that's the mandate for our team. So our team is really more the, the, the project management, procurement, and the, the engineering group. Uh, and we centralize those resources. Uh, and, then, and then we'll work within the local community to kind of bring in the right subcontractors and the right pieces to, to put everything together. Cool, cool. Um, maybe as kind of a closing question, what, um, what's one thing that for you as, as the leader at SunGrid, either a you know, something you're working on that's just kind of being birthed or a challenge or an opportunity, like what's what's kind of in front of you that you're either wrestling with or excited about, um, you know, for the future of either the industry or SunGrid or your clients or what's, what's coming up next? Yeah, so I think um, our, our business is kind of divided into, to, you know, three kind of categories and generally it's by size of project. You know, okay. we kind of see these, these uh, you know, smaller projects kind of up to about two megawatt hour, you know, from two megawatt hour up into kind of about, you know, 20 megawatts and then from kind of 20 megawatts to the sky's the limit. And, and this, this natural evolution that's happening within the industry is, is allowing for us to have challenges on, you know, in each of these areas in terms of the opportunities that we can take on. Uh, and so in this kind of above 20 megawatt, you know, we used to see, say a 50 megawatt hour project is a big project, you know, and Elon Musk goes and he's got a California project that's 750 megawatt hours. And, wow. and so we're, we're, we're now starting to be engaged in kind of 80 megawatt hour and 100 megawatt hour opportunities. Uh, I think I, I see the future for us as kind of the, you know, the 350, 400 megawatt hour, um, you know, balance of plant relationships that, that, that we can bring services to, you know, within that top market, within, within the mid, mid-sized market, I think um, we see that there's even some gaps starting to form where some of these earlier stage energy storage, uh, you know, groups, the, 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 they're, a lot of them are being dragged up market. And their 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 project sizes are getting bigger, and then what's happening is we're starting to see a little bit of a gap in sort of smaller markets. Okay. Uh, and so for us, for us, the challenge there is to really continue to be able to support that, and to make sure that we have the strategy that's listening uh, and getting um, you know getting solutions to these people, and making sure that that 
you know, as, as those big projects really start to happen with singular customers that this, this, uh, you know, this large group of, of sort of industrials and smaller projects that that doesn't really get left behind. Um, and then in, in the smaller space, um, we, you know, we've just recently come out with a product, which is the power play, uh, the okay. power play product is a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a small, uh, AC ready energy storage, uh, unit that, you know, it, uh, it targets around a 500 kilowatt hour building block. Uh, okay. and for us starting to, um, really kind of get the, get the cost structure of that down, uh, so that ultimately we're able to kind of bring a plug and play ready, you know, AC coupled battery right at the gate, uh, you know, that, that, that people can interface with, you know, and so we kind of see that, you know, the challenges that are facing at all, all three sort of market segments that we focus on, um, you know, there's opportunities on all of those and they, they all excite me. They all like, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not, um, unfortunately, I'm not blessed with the ability to kind of focus on one thing at a time. Uh, I have a tendency to, to see a lot of things. And, and so for us, uh, those are the things that are exciting today. And, and who knows what, you know, the next five years brings, uh, but we're excited about it all. Well, if that's, if that's your DNA, you're in the right spot as an entrepreneur. That's for sure. Um, I'll, yeah. I'll, yeah. Um, and, and we, we could, that, that piece in the middle about, you know, growing and then also keeping the DNA of, you know, serving that smaller, you and I could, you know, when, when this COVID thing is over, we're going to get together. We're going to have a, cause we, we get that too. So that's a real, a real challenge, but a real need to, to make that work. Um, one follow-up question. This is a selfish question. Um, who, who could you recommend that we should have on our podcast next? Oh man. You know that, uh, that we can meet? There's so many different people that I could recommend. I mean, uh, you know, w one of the guys, uh, Mo Hajibad from NR store. Uh, okay. That's definitely, he's, he's got a, he's got a, uh, a view of the world. Andrew Clark from spark power. Yes. Uh, I know Andrew. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Andrew, uh, is a great guy. I mean, even Gord Reynolds, who was previously with spark power. Now he's kind of, dealing more with the, the infrastructure Ontario stuff. I mean, he's got, he's got some great, great insights, you know, and, and, and the world opens up if we go outside of Ontario. I mean, there's, there's guys from, uh, you know, Casey and Glidepath and, and some of the other uh, developers, even the technology providers. I mean, right. uh, you know, there's, there's a world of opportunity. I think, I think you're on to the right thing with the podcast and I definitely, uh, I definitely think that, uh, you know, as if you need more ideas, just let me know. Oh, those, are, those, are, those are great. And I, uh, I, when, when Homer brought up your name, I, I then quickly said, you know, what we should do, uh, is we should get Chris and Ian and Homer around a table and, you know, talk about the, the 30 year history of Algonquin and try to condense that down. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that would not be an hour. That would be like a six episode. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it would probably be a pay-per-view version too. Uh, but uh, hey, Jeremy, this was really fun. Um, I, I know we both have uh, businesses to run. We could probably talk for hours, but uh, really appreciate you doing this and, and sharing with us um, your uh, your insight in the market. I mean, we talked technology, we talked uh, 
you know, about the free market. We talked about, you know, government structures and their impact on social policy. We went all over the place and, and it was fun. So um, thank you very much. And, and uh, it, was, it was a real pleasure for me. And we wish you and SunGrid uh, all the best. Yeah, thanks so much, Matt. Same to you guys uh, over at CEM. We're, we're definitely, we're here for you anytime and we're, we're very supportive of all the things you guys are doing. And thanks for having me on the podcast. Cool. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Energy Radio. I want a special thanks to Mark Charbonneau behind the glass running our technology. And a thank you to Lisa Barber, our executive producer. I look forward to chatting with you next time on Energy Radio. Energy Radio.